Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <coughs> okay, ready. Hello, everybody. Oh, no, I'm not. Hang on. Sip a gin. While Alan's dying, I'm going to say hello. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. We greet you. We embrace you. We cough on you. How are you, Alan? Well, apart from my uh, consumption, uh, I shall be bursting into <laughs> La Boheme in a second. Uh, I'm pretty good. Lala and I have had a lovely walk outside uh, for her ablutions. And uh, I'm still plowing through Borgen. Uh, it's thrilling, but it's not a thriller. It's a, it's a Danish TV show. It was actually started like 20, 10 years ago. But uh, I've just come to it very late, and I'm just obsessed with it. It's about politics, and it's a bit like yes. The Good Wife. You know that show I was in? It's a bit like a Danish Good Wife, I realise. Uh, and But it's about this woman who becomes the Prime Minister, and then and she stops being Prime Minister. It goes on for many seasons. But uh, I'm just it's just really, it's my sort of treat. And the thing is, what's really interesting about it, because of the subtitles, you really have to pay attention. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's why I actually, I think it's quite good. I think I've realised I've got into the habit of that thing of, Watching telly whilst doing other things. And I think it's that phone in hand or, or kind of, you know, reading or cooking or mm. doing something else. So I'm actually really enjoying back being back to that sort of, I'm trying to, that's my new thing. I'm trying to focus more, not to have my phone in my hand at all times and not have 10 different things open on my computer or, you know, when I'm doing one thing, I, sitting down and reading a book, I just want to kind of try and be a bit more focused in my life. That's, I'm that's terrible at that focus thing and... I always have about 40 tabs open on my desktop and 100 tabs open on my phone and, and, and. And I, I don't really read anymore because I just think I'm too fragmented. I really mm. miss that. I've been reading when I go to bed. Really? Which I'm really enjoying. Uh, anyway, shall we talk about today's guest? Yes. We've got a theme this time, haven't we? It's a special theme and quite a serious theme, obviously. It's LGBTQ plus homelessness, which is a huge problem. I'm not sure if you know that, viewing listeners. We're going to talk to Carla Ecola. Runs a thing called the Outside Project, which helps LGBTQIA plus people get, um, you know, get into... Well, they have an actual homeless shelter in Clerkenwell, north centre-ish of London, in an old fire station, I believe. Yes, and Sadiq Khan, former guest friend of the show he was involved in setting it up i think mm. but also there's so many specifics around being queer and the homeless scene which i think are really important well grant um my hubby works uh, does a teaches an art class at the harvey milk high school which is part of the hetrick martin institute in, in new york in downtown new york and it's a lot of uh homeless kids are, are in this um program that he teaches and a lot of uh, you know and, and predominantly of color 
And he's told me several times that some of the kids say, you know, that, that the homeless kids say that they're, they're actually scared to go into certain homeless shelters and especially the trans ones because they said it's, it's actually can be very transphobic even ones that accept mm. gay kids they're still a problem and, and they sometimes feel you know um preyed on and and, and um scared to you know because of because of other people who are there that, that are um sort of predators so there's a lot of a, a lot layers and layers of awfulness surrounding this issue and i think it'll be really fascinating to talk to someone who's really at the heart of the storm time for us to go and chat to carla ecola who runs the outside project mm-hmm. off we go tell us everything about the outside project please carla so um the outside project i would say conversation started around 2016 uh, so i worked at the homelessness sector myself and so colleagues uh, of mine who were also LGBTIQ+, we would discuss cases and how hard it was for our clients to come out within those services or to find specialist support services. And then around 2017, that's when we started to meet up officially and to have these conversations with other key people in the sector. Mm-hmm. And then we we were looking around, we were looking for buildings, we were looking for space to have a winter shelter and it just wasn't happening. And I think that that's probably the worst thing about uh, trying to set up a homelessness service is not being able to find a space for it. Mm. Um, so we started to campaign publicly. We were going out into cabaret shows around the scene, uh, just talking to the community, and they helped us to self-fund for that first winter. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was great. We we based the shelter on a tour bus, oh, wow. a 12-bed tour bus. It was used by Status Quo. Wow. That's Check down the back of the seats before you... <laughs> we did. <laughs> <laughs> Status Quo, for those uh, listeners who don't know, we're a 70s and 80s British kind of rock band yeah. uh, with these sort of real geezers. Whatever you want, dun, 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 mm-hmm. whatever you need. Dun, dun, dun. How did you get hold of that bus? We were contacting tour bus companies and there was one that just kind of offered it to us at cost. Oh, so they, they saw what we were trying to do with it and they were like, we know that you don't have any money. We know that this service is really needed and missing. So, That's you know, um, that was 10 weeks uh, over winter 2017-18. And then throughout 2018, we started campaigning again for a more permanent space. And we reopened that Christmas 2018. And we've been open ever since. So it was initially a winter shelter. And then we campaigned to be year-round. How did you get the place? You I mean, because you're now in a former fire house isn't that right yeah so we're in the fire station now um and that was through working with the gla so mayor of london that's in clerkenwell right yeah because we spoke to sadiq khan on a previous episode and we spoke about you guys and he was saying he was you know very proud to be part of it and stuff but am i right in thinking there's like so there's like a physical side to what you do but there's also quite a lot of other stuff that you do in the community or online and things like that yeah definitely so i mean running the space is at the center of what we do so having the actual physical night shelter, mm. the community centre is also really important. Uh, it's an important part of our outreach, just giving a space for people to actually come in and talk about what they're going through, mm. but not in that kind of um, prescribed way. Um, we we recognise that our community are less likely to walk into council, homeless persons units or support services and say outright what's going on. Mm. But then, you know, they'll come to a craft evening or a taekwondo lesson you know, or they'll be part of an activist group and they'll kind of get to know us. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm homeless as well, mm. you know, in, in that kind of way. Or I'm, I'm sofa surfing or this has happened. So I think that they kind of build up a trust with us first nice. in, in a lot of ways. I think that's why the community centre has been really important. 
And how many people can you house each night? So our night shelter is a 10-bed shelter. Um, obviously, during COVID, we've expanded our services. Uh, so we have over 20 people um, that we're housing at the moment in uh, domestic abuse refuge and in hotels, emergency hotel rooms. And so we've, we've had to grow quite a lot, uh, the amount of support that we can deliver during this time. But before that, it was just quite a small service. Uh, it's quite a small community-run project. But I don't think we ever really want to have like these massive warehouses, you know, we've worked in them in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that homelessness services are kind of moving away from that as well. But they're not the most therapeutic spaces. Mm. So it's more about trying to create small specialized accommodations, right, uh, where people can really feel like they're part of a group. It's not, I think one of the biggest fears that people have about entering any kind of homelessness accommodation is not knowing who their neighbor is, Mm -hmm. um, or not knowing who's sleeping next to them in like these dormitory style uh, you know, they, you see these like massive warehouse spaces, you know, with beds lined up. And I think that that's what everyone expects when they come to a shelter. Mm. Um, but our project, you know, it's like three or four people in a room. So it's more like a shared shared house than this kind of dormitory style accommodation. That It just works better for people, for their mental health, for their recovery yeah. from homelessness. They just feel safer. That's so nice. Because that's one of the awful things about another layer of awfulness for to be queer and homeless is the, is the sort of fear of homophobia and transphobia that that exists within these uh, within shelters yeah definitely i mean and that happens i think we have referrals from people who are in homelessness services um you know from the workers there just saying you know they don't feel safe here or they're, they're actually not safe here they've experienced transphobia or homophobia yeah so yeah i mean that that's a real big issue there's only 77 beds within london that are specific to the LGBTIQ plus community. Wow. But also the percentage, the ratio is, is much higher, isn't it, of, of LGBTQ homeless people to, to non. So therefore, mm. that's really scary that that's the only number in the whole of London. Yeah, definitely. What you get from like stats for queer youth, uh, they, they say it's like a quarter of queer youth um, experience homelessness. What? Um, I think if we were able to collect data um in, in a proper way if there was more services where people were able to go and feel I think like the older generation are less likely to go into a homelessness service and and say that their sexuality or gender identity is part of their homelessness mm-hmm. like that's something that we we know from running the outside project so I think the the stats for you know the general population is probably much higher uh, but we just don't have yeah. that information we don't a lot of homelessness services they don't collect that information they don't you know it's a demographic that they don't really consider mm. when they're talking to people about their homelessness experience um so that's a problem in itself but i think yeah i think the number would be much higher can i just ask slight sidebar but the word homelessness because i think sadiq was saying to me like he was like we don't really say homeless we say rough sleeper is that right is there a way that people use the terminology <laughs> carla's slightly scowling yeah <laughs> Um, I think as in sorry I mean I would never be correcting you I just wanted to make sure I was getting right oh no no it's fine it's just that people who are rough sleeping are really the tip of the iceberg of homelessness Mm -hmm. so that's like what people see on the street and I think there's so many more people that are living in temporary accommodation they're squatting they're sofa surfing Mm. they're walking around throughout the night but they're sleeping during the day in public toilets things like that so there's this whole like huge amount of people um, kind of underneath the surface that you know, maybe aren't recognized um, as homeless and don't recognize themselves either um, because the image that people have of someone who's homeless is that is that person sleeping on the street in the doorway. 
um, but homelessness, especially in our community, hidden homelessness. Um, so like Alan was saying about people feeling afraid in homelessness services, um, it's the same on the street. So LGBT people are less likely to be sleeping rough on the street um, amongst like general homelessness population or just the world in general, because hate crime towards our community in public spaces, you know, that's the thing. It's so high. Yeah. So I think people are just scared in general of being out on the street. And, and is there also like that that thing of having to come out all the time as well? You know, if you're going to a new shelter or with a new group of people and people don't want to do that. Yeah, or not coming out, just like having to hide who they are mm. to access those spaces, you know, especially for our trans community as well. Yes. Uh, especially if, they, you know, they don't have access to, you know, gender affirming like clothing or, you know, they don't feel safe in those spaces. It can just have know a huge effect on their mental health so they're probably more likely to try and find you know a bed for the night go out clubbing stay out all night there um so i think i think our community during lockdown um and what's you know what's happened through covid you know it's it's really brought those issues uh, forward for our community they're not able um to go to those kind of three-day parties um you know and, and sofa surf around at friends because everyone's in lockdown right so, and also the the thing about lockdown has meant this in all areas of society, but I'm sure it's a huge problem in the queer community is, is that people have, the, the rise in domestic violence has, has been huge and people who have been trapped at home and all these tensions. And so that must be an added, you must have an added burden right now because of that. You're getting lots of people who have been forced out onto the streets because of domestic abuse. Yeah, or feeling trapped in the home. Um, I like uh-huh. the the kind of intro that you two do about domestic abuse and how, you know, it's how there's so many different um, representations of that. So a lot of people are experiencing um, like hate from their parents or siblings, um, other housemates, and that is having like a huge impact on them. And that's making them feel really unsafe where they live. Mm. Domestic violence itself, you know, we, we do have an overrepresentation of, of domestic abuse within our community. And I think it's again like when we look at what we visually see as homeless as being a rough sleeper, what we visually see as um, a domestic abuse victim is not necessarily a queer couple, no. um, even though it happens. So what you see on TV, what you see in the adverts, things like that, um, it's you know it's not as recognised. Um, yeah, it's sort of always a, by ourselves. It's a straight man hitting a woman, isn't it? That's the image. Yeah, and with a bruise on your eye, rather than often the signs aren't mm-hmm. there. Can I lighten things up a bit and just say, is that a banana on the wall behind you? <laughs> yeah, this is art by Lake, my partner. Ah, oh, it's um, lovely. Trying to see. Yeah, it's oil on canvas. Wow. They're really good, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I am biased. They also made this necklace as well. Oh, necklaces too. How did you get into the world of homelessness? It was kind of by accident. I went to Crisis Skylight Centre uh, because I was squatting down in South London and I was looking for a place to do art and Tai, tai Chi and I was like, I want to do some fun stuff during the day instead of hanging around in this squat. Um, but they wanted me to stop being homeless and all these kind of things. I was like, oh, that, that seemed like a lot of hard work, actually. <laughs> I was just going there to use their art materials. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was within that conversation that they put me on to working with vulnerable people, um, a course, uh, City Lit. So it's really to, like, get into the voluntary sector and, and start helping out because I th- – which is really strange because it's like I was homeless technically myself because I was living in squats, mm. but I started to work in a homelessness service with people who were rough sleeping whilst also being homeless myself. Mm. Um, is that quite common for people who work in the homelessness sector to have been homeless themselves? I think a third of 
of the people that worked in the organization that I started out in. Um, yeah, but I think that it's, they make a, an effort to, to hire people who have got lived experience. So, I mean, having, having an understanding of, you know, what right. people are going through is really important. I think it's the same for, for our, our project. You know, we, we try and hire, pe- hire people who are LGBTIQ plus themselves. They've had mm. an experience of homelessness or they have an understanding of some of the issues that the people that are coming through our door, you know, will identify. Right. So it's, cause it is really important. And how, how come you ended up in a squat in the first place? Like many young people that come to London, um, you know, you're looking for a, a fresh start, but you, you know, you find Soho and the bright lights of Soho and zero hour contracts and dodgy landlords. And I think, I think London's not really designed for young people um, in that sense. Not really. I think it can be quite mm. exploitative, to be honest. Um, I think did, can you I... just explain what a zero hour contract is for anyone who's listening who doesn't know that? Oh, it's where you're you're working as a temp, you're working in bars, you're not really given any kind of security, you're on minimum wage, not London living wage, but back back then, yeah, minimum wage, I think it was like seven pounds an hour mm. you're earning. And then the rent I was sharing a room with like three other people and you know, I think the squat scene and the rave scene and Soho, it's all very kind of bright lights, you know, and I think that that can really take young especially like young queer people, it can really take them in. Mm. Uh, and, and it makes you really feel like you're part of a community, um, but you're not. You're you're just at a party every day of the week, really. Um, mm. It takes its toll, I think. There's also like something about queer people tending to congregate in like not really in suburbia, in like the more urban areas, and that's more expensive places to live and stuff like that, isn't it? As well, so it's harder. Yeah, Manchester and Brighton, London. You'll have like an overrepresentation of LGBT people mm. because it. We just feel safer. Where did you come from? Uh, Birmingham. I don't sound like a Birmingham, do I? No, you don't really. And when you came from Birmingham to London, what was it you? What was your? What were your plans? I was fundraising, so I was one of those people that kind of stop you in the street and bounce around in front of you. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I applied for that job once, and they didn't give it to me. Oh my god, another rejection you've had in your life. I, and look at me, Alan. I soldier on. I know it's you are a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag hashtag yeah. pray for Chris. But what kind what kind of kid were you, Carla? I think I was a good kid. Yeah, I was I was like well into reading. I did well at school. I got some good grades as well. Mm. I think a lot of queer people just kind of like drop out of education as well. I think that we find school really tough, but it wasn't so much of a bother for mm. me. Um, and it, yeah, it, I did okay. I mean, I really just wanted to come to London just for a fresh start and to make some new friends and just start all over again, really. And I think that happens quite a lot with young, yeah, young yes. people. They want to just like we... go and explore and have an adventure, start again. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's so big. Even me coming from Birmingham, which is a big city, mm. Um, mm. I don't think that I was really prepared for, you know, how London can really suck you in a little bit and how, how massive it is. Um, I love it. And how now. old were you when you came? Uh, I think it was like 20, 21. I did uni, I did a couple of years. It was just like, you know, when you're, I don't know if you had this experience when you were younger, but you're just, yeah, not really, not really able to really focus on what it is that, that you want to do or how you're going to do it. God, it's like me now. <laughs> you're still there. <laughs> so you came at you're 20 or 21, you came down. When is the point that you became homeless? When is the point that you... I was in the, sh- I, I came to London, I had a job set up. 
And I had a couple of people that I knew that also wanted to move to London. We shared a room together. There was only like one other person that we didn't know in that room. Um, so that was uh-huh. great. But then dodgy landlord, we want to rent out this room. We can get more money f- for it. Um, so then it was like moving into the next place, same kind of issue, bit of a dodgy housemate. Um, so it kind of went on like that. Mm. Like you're looking for mm. cheap rooms because you don't earn enough money. I kind of lost my job very quickly. I just, I didn't really enjoy it. Like fundraising in London, it was, it was too noisy. It was like, and also I got this job in a bar in Soho, which I was like, that's going to be so much fun. So yeah, I think when you're, when you're working on, on the scene, or you know, in bars and, and clubs, and you're not really earning enough money to cover your rent and your partying. Then, when someone offers you the, the sort of opportunity to just share a room in a squat, it seems like, oh, this is this will be the answer to everything for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then, actually, yeah. a few years later, you're still in the squat. You're not an artist. You're not back studying. You're not really in any kind of uh, secure job, and you're just not really having a great time. I think that's mm. that's kind of where I got to when I went into the crisis skylight. So I was like, you know, and I lost my job as well, even, you know, the, the kind of zero-hour contract uh, job that I had. I had this experience of uh, a colleague of mine being homophobic towards me, oh. so that job didn't work out. Um, so it just kind of, there was like a few different things that just sort of breaks you down over time. Yeah. So you end up just kind of being in a squat, you don't have a job, you don't have any money, you've kind of fallen out of love with Soho. Mm. What do I do now? You turn turn around one day and you're 25, 26. You're not necessarily like the youngest person anymore <laughs> out on the scene as well. And you're just like, oh, I can't continue to live in this way. And I want to have like a, you know, a nice place to stay or a proper job. And yeah, so I just ha- knew that I had to really change something. Mm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And is is your partner, were they uh, in the same situation? Is that how you met? No, we actually met in a shared house. Like, so a few years later, I'd I'd been working in the homelessness sector. I'd got, I'd moved out of a squat into another dodgy, <laughs> a dodgy kind of uh, garage that had been converted into a one-bedroom flat. Um, I was wow. very unlucky with housing in London. <laughs> you could have your own TV show, like that Vice, you know, that Vice column that was like the worst places in London to live. Yeah, I lived in most of them. <laughs> I think. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so I ended up uh, moving into a shared house, uh, and that's where I met my partner. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, no, we, I, I work here. Lake works here as well, so my partner works here. They're the cleaner. They're a director, but they're also the cleaner. <laughs> so, yeah, we. I think that's a, a bit of a difference with the outside projects as well because we're, we're very much a community project. So 
you know, we'll have Jesse, who's a partnership manager, but he's also the recovery worker. Mm. So everyone works with the guests. Everybody is responsible for answering the door. Mm. You know, at some point, it's that's yes. not right. Now, and in the three years you said since you started the project, I'm just curious about the way that homelessness has the numbers have got better or worse, and what help is available, and what the just I'm just you know wondering if there's been any change with the government <laughs> uh, over that time. No. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I think it's definitely gotten worse since I started working in the homelessness sector. In what way? Just less provision, less funding. Uh, the funding is restricted to you know a year contract, or people are com- competing with each other for different things. There's no buildings to run services in. You know, there's a lot of damage that's been done with just like wider legislation. You know, other services that you know have been underfunded. You know, services for mental health, drug, alcohol support, mm. services for people who are seeking asylum people with no recourse to public funds so all of these things have uh it's, it's like a storm in a, a teacup what, what's happening right now it's just like so many different things that are having a huge impact on homelessness and what about the the, the kind of getting people out of homelessness so they're in your they're, they're with you they've got shelter they're having access to some services what's the next step it depends really on on their situation but i think one of the things that we think you know, as a project needs to be addressed is the lack of higher support accommodation available to LGBTIQ plus people. Uh, you know, so people who have mental health, drug and alcohol issues, there's no LGBT specific uh, bed spaces um, for high support. Um, same for elder care as well. I know Tonic are a great organisation. They're doing a lot of work around that. Um, so I think that th- those are the gaps that really need to be filled. I was just wondering what the definition of higher support is. So it would be people with kind of more complex mental health needs um, or drug and alcohol um, support needs. Got it. It it depends on what the situation of the person is. So we can try and help people access like rent deposit schemes to try and find uh, private rented accommodation, Uh preferably that isn't dodgy like half of the rentals that I found in London. Mm. So, yeah, it's like trying to find like good, safe accommodation. They might go into supported uh, accommodation like Stonewall Housing Run. That's a pathway for young people. So that's like that's like apartments that Stonewall rents rents uh, out. Stonewall Housing, yeah, yeah they have um, they have housing projects across London um, for young people. They can stay there for up to up to two years. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, they're great. They're our partners in the. We we partnered with them in two thousand seventeen. So they manage our referrals and and, and support mm. support people that are contacting the helpline. There's a little bit of pathway um, for people moving out of the shelter. But as I say, I think the hardest route out that, that we can see is for people with those higher support needs or people without uh, recourse to public funds. So waiting for bed spaces uh, in micro rainbow, for example, for people who are seeking asylum. You know, a lot of the time we're, we're supporting people around multiple other needs so that they can then move into safe accommodation. You know, they would have to resolve their drug or alcohol issue or get support around their mental health so that they were then able to access like lower support accommodation, if that makes sense. So so they've got to get clean to get access to these other things, basically. Is that the rule? Yeah. So, I mean, you'd have to you'd have to kind of demonstrate that uh, you yeah, you were sober and that you were well, that you were able to to kind of just live in a private accommodation with other people and it was safe for you and it was good for your recovery. Yeah. Mm. So I think, yeah, that's a that's a big issue um, for our community to, to kind of get to that point. So a lot of the time we're supporting people here at the shelter 
who have these higher support needs for a lot longer. Um, if there if there were high support accommodation, specialist accommodation uh, for them to go to, then they could stay there for a year or two and, and get real sort of wraparound support that they need. So people listening to this thinking, holy fucking shit, like I am feeling right now. What, as someone working in the thick of it, what would you say is the best way for people that they could help, but also your theories on what are there glaring things that you think if we only if only this could happen it would change things radically or where do we you know just I'm curious about what you think needs to happen so we joined with um, other LGBTIQ plus housing groups so AKT Stonewall Housing Tonic Consortium Stonewall we all came together um, and created a manifesto um, for the mayoral elections some of the asks that we had in there was for a housing strategy in London specifically for LGBTIQ plus people and that doesn't exist. There's not a strategy for... There's no housing plan for our community here. Ever? No. There's no housing plan. There's no pathway. There's no kind of statutory housing services in that sense. Wow. That's a big ask. Okay. What else? So yeah, the, the housing and support pathway. So support services as well. Having accommodation is one thing, but you know we've lost really great organizations like Pace. Um, they do like mental health. What, where did they go? They, they just went under. I think a lot of uh, LGBTIQ plus organizations that we've seen over the years uh, maybe haven't had as much support as they needed you know and I think that if we were to have like real you know solid support services um, so I think alongside accommodation uh, a commitment to those support services to prevent homelessness rather than you know just responding to it Um, training for commissioners else was on our list coordinated approach to data collection so we were talking earlier about the data there's so many uh, different statistics all over the place that have been done over the years, but if we were to have, you know, a real solid understanding of what the problem is and and real kind of, uh, you know, community outreach uh, and what was needed and what would what would help and what would work, mm. those, those are some of the things that we were looking to ask for. And if people want to, people listening want to get directly involved with you guys, what's the best ways they can help? Um, they can give us buildings. We always need buildings. Yeah. So <laughs> that's like right up here. Yeah. <laughs> the more buildings, the more kind of property that's available um, to LGBTIQ plus organizations and housing, mm. the more space that we can open, the better. Yeah. But we're just, yeah, asking people to get to get involved online in the groups that are up and running, uh, socials, things like that. Follow us and, and kind of just look at the kind of campaigning that we're doing and, and get behind get behind us. We're at LGBTIQ outside. Carla, it's, it's so frustrating to me. I've, I've come up against this and talking to people in various parts of the world in cities with you know great homelessness but also great amounts of empty buildings that are just sitting there they're everywhere i mean the one that we're in now clerkenwell fire station that was empty for years before we moved in and who let you the mayor let you because it belonged to the city yeah i think well i think it's the the mayor's office and and the fire brigade you know allowed us to use the space and we're really grateful for mm. it uh, but i think I there's bet, so yeah. many buildings just like this all over town that could be put back to use so yeah i mean I think there's a lot of organizations that are making money out of renting them out as well. So I think like mm-hmm. renting them out for like photo shoots or renting them out for a few people to, to live in them rather than actually putting them into use for what they were built for. Yeah. So you have like care mm-hmm. homes, for example, that, you know, or community spaces that have closed down, community projects have closed. And now, it, you know, there's a lot of property guardianships for people living in those spaces. And if they were to be put back into like community use, then 
you know, for, for actual homelessness projects. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's such a shame you don't get more support in that direction of like the property guardian, like a section of that is given to you guys so that you take over the building for the time that it is not being used. It'd be, you know. Yeah, or purpose-built housing as well. Yeah. I mean, we know that. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, is it like, you know, we can we can make use of meanwhile spaces and it's great putting old uh, buildings back into use, mm. but I think the homeless population, they deserve better. Yeah. You know, they really do deserve better than to, you know, trying to make it work in, in a building that's not really designed um, mm. to hold so many people or, mm-hmm. you know, just like things that are like specially designed um, for, you know, a really marginalized group of people that have, you know, real high support needs a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and, and you you look at like the ridiculousness of trying to do that in London, where imagine if you're somewhere in Clerkenwell, if it was like a thousand square feet, it would be worth a million pounds or something ridiculous, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, property prices. Um, and yeah, just the amount of money that you can make out of space, any kind of space. Mm. You look at things like that and you can you can understand why homelessness projects, we don't have enough money, especially it's such a kind of niche homelessness project is like LGBTIQ+. Mm. You know, it's really sort of like we're back of the back of the queue mm. in a lot of senses, I, I feel. Carla, how... How do you look after your mental health? It must be very challenging to work in an environment like this. I mean, I'm kind of a bit depressed just thinking about all these things right now. And I, I'm not, it's not my full-time yeah. job. Yeah, so funny because like when I sit here and I'm talking to you guys about this and it's all just like very doom and gloom, it's very dark. But like literally when I walked in today, they were, had this like big cooking workshop and they were making this really nice meal. And yesterday when I walked in, they were doing karaoke. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, you know, the kind of campaigning side of things, the activism, the, the talking about about this issue and trying to get more space all of the time or more secure funding all of the time, that's that's very bleak. But the actual life that we have here, the community space that we've created, is is not. Mm. You know, I think I think that's something that people don't don't think that when they would when they come here that they're going to have so much fun and they're going to meet friends for life and you know they're going to get involved in so many creative things. I think that I get my kind of energy and, you know, it's almost like going to work um, is like, is like very therapeutic in itself, you know, just like being in that community space. And also like the team as well, the crew that we have, we all talk a lot mm. you know, amongst ourselves. I think going into COVID um, was really tough. I think, you know, we all sat down and we were just like, what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, members of our team were just like, we'll move in. We'll just move in and we'll just lock down. Mm. And that was huge for, for me and Lake to, to see from our, you know, people in our, our team that they were just so dedicated to this space that we'd created this community space and it just could not be broken up. Mm. You know, even if, um, you know, if we, even if we had been offered uh, to, to move out into other spaces, we probably would have been like, no, we're, we're just going to stay here. We're going to make this work, which is what we ended up doing. Mm. Um, and, and it was safe and, you know, no one did get sick here. So we're very lucky. Um, I think and well not just look but I think we just organized really quickly so I think the support from other homelessness activists um, and groups really helped you do seem like a family you know from the outside when I first ever heard of you guys and seeing who was involved like um, Freddie Lanka and stuff like you just seem like a family yeah Fred I love Fred yeah he does our art for us it's nice it's like people don't look at kind of homelessness flyers you know, or flies about that. And it's why we, you know, Fred's been really great to us. You know, we, we get messages now, people who have like read our poster on the wall and like 
the, their local gay bar, they wouldn't have read it otherwise. And it makes them realize that they're experiencing homelessness because, you mm. know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves. We literally had to like, we wrote out this list, just being like, are you staying around at friends' houses a lot? Is this happening? Do you feel unsafe to go home? Give us a call. You might be homeless. Mm. And people contact us like, oh my gosh. So that's because of Fred's art. So, so Fred does all your posts. Fred's the, Fred's the pot man. Is he, is he the pottery man you're telling me about? Um, he actually, like before he started doing our posters, he made like little bum pins for us. Yeah, um, yeah Fred's the potter. He's a ceramicist, an artist, an illustrator. Um, yeah, he does a lot of great queer art. And he's lovely. Um, but yeah, he's... He's been helping us out. He's listened to the show for Homo Sapiens for a long time and sort of used to write in and stuff. And I loved his work because he'll do like um, plates, but with a bum on and stuff. And it's sort of playful and really colourful and reminds me a little bit of like Keith Herring. So he does all your visuals. Yeah, he does. He does um, all of the all of the posters and campaigning art. Like he did the emergency hotel artwork at the peak of COVID when we were mm. campaigning for space. He did that as well. He's just like really quick. And helps us out. So, how do you how do you get your money? We're we're funded through um, the mayor's innovation fund. They they've funded us the past few years, um, and the community as well. Mm. They they donate and support us a lot. Do you have to fight for that money each year? It's the kind of thing, or have they given you some assurances? I think yeah, it's, it's an annual thing that that we're funded. Mm. I mean, it would be great to have you know a bit of security when it comes to funding. Mm definitely so we'll be able to really plan ahead security and property as well like i say we we have meanwhile use but it'd be great to have a building that was you know specifically for us to run a community center and to run the shelter that we need to run Uh, okay so you they've said that about the fire station it's just while it's not in use for something else kind of thing yeah i mean it's a meanwhile use we won't be able to live here forever god it's such a huge thing you've done it's incredible thank you well i didn't do it i didn't do it alone (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, do you know Streetwise Opera? Oh, yeah, I have heard of Streetwise Opera. My friend Sue works there. Okay. She runs it. And it's street, It's a really great thing, Chris. It's a, streetwise uh, Opera is, is a opera mm. company that goes out into the community and, um, and, and does opera with homeless people. And so they kind of come and, into, I guess, centres. And, and they do it in different places in the country. That's cool. And it's a really beautiful... I've seen a few of their things and they'd put on these shows and it's just, it gives up, you know, it's a sort of a, a focus for people and a kind of to give structure as well as to give, you know, art therapy. And uh, it's a really, it's a really lovely thing. And they have people coming in, you know, and, 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 com- and collaborating because we think, gosh, you know, uh, there's, there's various ways you can help. And I think we always think, well, just get people homes. They're homeless. Get them a home. That's what they're less. Yeah. That's what they have less of. But actually, you know, there's many other ways to nourish and support. And I think through the arts and through seeing these people sing and kind of let let it all out and hearing their stories is, has been a really, uh, it's really kind of changed my, altered my view about how you approach dealing with something like homelessness or there are many there are many approaches and I think I wasn't uh, very clued into that before yeah definitely I think we're, we're probably the only shelter that used to take people to the pub quiz I love that you know we take people to cabaret yeah. shows down at RVT quite often we'd have like a VIP table it's yeah. really important to have that connection to the community and connection to something creative and yeah yeah you're doing it in a way that is you know hearing you say like how misunderstood and undervalued the LGBT community is in these areas, but then you're doing everything you're doing, like your artwork you're describing and what you just said there is like, 
what Alan's just talking about is like you're doing it with a queer sensibility that people will get and it, it taps into that so it's brilliant yeah yeah it's in- introducing lgbt people to like safe spaces as well so mm-hmm. if they are young and they've just come out um and now they're homeless and you know we, we, we take them to places that we think that they're going to be safe yeah you know like they'll continue to have so like brilliant. engagement with the community in a safe way because we do have a, a lack of social um spaces that that aren't bars yeah well this has been great i really and it's been really inspiring and we both feel so in awe of the work that you're doing and I hope that uh, people listening will feel the same and also maybe feel predisposed to giving you a little helping hand. What's your website? Uh, so it's lgbtiqoutside.org. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Carla. It's been such a joy and please just let us know any more future stuff that we can help with and if we can support and in any way, we'd love to. Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on and listening to me. Oh all my depressing doom and gloom about homelessness (laughs) (laughs) right alan come on you must know someone who's got a massive building we can give them i'm going to get on the phone right now no seriously though it's so crazy isn't it i I just this idea of all these places being empty and all these people being on the streets it's you know and it it has got worse in london i I mean well in many cities Mm. like san francisco instance it's the center of san francisco because you know so much money is going in there because of all the tech people but that's just meant you know the disparity but i think it's just it just it gets my goat that thing of you know climbing over people sleeping in the streets in order to get to some swanky Mm. restaurant and actually they're i don't know i I know it's not as simple as that but this empty building thing really really gets me you know not just empty buildings build a building for it i think it's 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 so amazing that there's people like them who decide that they're gonna you know set up this monumental thing you know the admin and the bureaucracy that it must be oh can you imagine but it is also like a little bit of a shame that it has to be coming from that way one person entrepreneurially with an idea and but i'm so thrilled they're doing it and i'm mega grateful me too i think it's absolutely so admirable and so great and just make changing so many young queer kids lives yeah so um listeners please write in let us know what you thought um if you know any large empty buildings that can be donated to um projects or if you <laughs> just send them as an attachment on your email um or if you fancy building a building in central london own a plot of land i am quite handy with a hammer i have to say happy to muck in and you know, i'm very good at throwing a pashmina and a few throw cushions around the lawrence llewellyn bowen of new york is your nickname <laughs> lawrence llewellyn bowen interior designer for those uh, who don't remember him uh you can write to us at hello at homo sapiens podcast.com yeah. or on at homo sapiens instagram or on facebook at homo sapiens podcast you can also rate and subscribe at apple Podcasts. and if we pick your review of the week on homo sapiens extra guess what you'll get a t-shirt yeah homo sapiens t-shirt i mean come on um yeah cool so thanks listeners this has been an utter joy as always alan you've been a delight you've been charming oh. and the and the not and the sounds of the spitfires going across your house and to land at Briars norton's always always did you hear them this time <laughs> yes you know what i don't hear them anymore it's so weird i love it i love it so it's, it's very comforting it's very sort of you know brief encounter or something the, a sort of a david lean film i couldn't agree more there's part of me that feels like 
I always wanted to be a 1940s housewife. Totally, I can see you. Keep the home fires burning. Yeah. Yes, I've been terribly happily married for 40 years. Oh, there's a piece of glit in my eye. There's a piece of glit yeah. in my eye. Oh, you're a doctor? I totally have an um, affair with a gardener, though. <laughs> Would you? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what he looks like as well, but let's save that for next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yes. Okay, everybody. Well, Chris goes off and... Uh, <laughs> pleasures himself <laughs> we'll see you take care <laughs> next bye bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.